This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, friend. The Finding Something Real podcast is designed especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. As someone who's been through my own ups and downs with faith, my desire is to create an invitational place for people to process and address questions about God and Christianity. So if you're not sure what you believe about God, I get that. And if you're skeptical, hey, you've come to the right place. But I invite people to go on a journey with me because I believe Jesus is real and my desire is to share him with you. And today we're diving deeper into season six. We'll go ahead and dive into today's talk in just a moment. But first, a few words regarding stuff that helps keep us on the air. Hi, friend. This podcast is sponsored in part by Faithful Counseling. Life is full of ups and downs, unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes we struggle with all that can come our way. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is also a practicing Christian. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And as someone with a master's degree in counseling psychology and whom at various times in the past 20 or so years has benefited from seeing a professional therapist, I know the value that professional counseling can bring because we all need someone to talk with and Faithful Counseling can help. Please visit faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real to sign up for professional faith-based counseling. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. There's also a special offer for finding something real listeners to get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for being a sponsor of this episode. So friend, what difference does Jesus actually make when it comes to practical struggles that you might deal with on a day-to-day basis? Does being a Christian make any difference when it comes to battling things like depression? We're going to talk about that and more today. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening in for season six, where we've been starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story, and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. This month, I am personally taking some time off to be with my family. So while I'm away, we are featuring special bonus conversations with or for some young women who've asked some great faith questions. Today's episode is a little different, though, in that the topic didn't come up on a recent podcast episode. Instead, it's been talked about many times in private conversations with people in my life. And that's the topic of mental health in Jesus. As someone who went to grad school for counseling psychology and has friends in the mental health treatment field, I've seen a wide range of perspectives when it comes to how someone can incorporate their faith into their experience and their expertise. And I'm excited to dive into this topic with today's special guest. Before I introduce our guest, though, I am equally excited to welcome a very special co-host to today's conversation. I've only been asking her to come on this podcast, (laughs) oh, since about four years ago when I started it. She's made me promise I won't ask her any questions. And the truth is, she may or may not be evaluating the awkwardness of this current experience and deciding from here whether she'll ever come back on again. All that to say, she's one of my very favorite young people. And if she ever does agree to a full co-host gig with me, 
I'll gush about her probably a little bit more, but she's pretty special. I've told her this before, but she's one of the main reasons I married her uncle almost 19 years ago, because when I saw that guy I was dating cherish this sweet little girl, I fell in love with him and her as well. And I'm so, so happy to have you here, my niece, Kaylee. Welcome to the podcast. You do have to say hi. <laughs> I keep it muted because my dog will bark at random spots. So I just need a moment to unmute as she actually popped into the frame just a second ago. Oh, well, I'm just really grateful you're here. Thank you for saying yes and for the gift of your presence. It's a real gift mm -hmm. to me. So yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, today's special guest says she wants to live in a world where people laugh often and openly share their lives with one another without being someone they were never meant to be. Mm. She is a fearlessly authentic podcaster, homeschool mom and speaker who shares relatable humor through her own life stories, leading women into the hard truths of faith, embraced by God's grace. In 2020, her and I connected through the Christian Podcasters Association and her dedication and consistency in sharing through her podcast, Grace Enough, has been an inspiration to me. She is also an incredibly wise and generous friend, and I'm excited to welcome her, my friend, Amber Cullum, to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, Amber. Oh, Janelle, thank you. You're going to make me cry. My goodness, that was beautiful. Oh, <laughs> All of it. Well, I'm so excited you're here. I, I was thinking as I was preparing for this episode, she should have been on here a long time ago. We've been friends for a while, and I just have admired your ministry from afar. For someone not familiar with what you're doing with your podcast, would you share a little bit about what you're doing over there? Yeah, Grace Enough, I, I think, Janelle, probably like you, you know, you started and you didn't know quite what you were getting yourself into in not a bad way. It's just such a vast world. And so... Grace Enough has kind of um, changed a bit over the years, but primarily it's really about just not shying away from sharing the hard experiences and truths that we face on a daily basis. And then how does that intersect with the grace of God? Or is he present when that person um, walks through the death of a child? Is he present when that person has been human trafficked. And so it's a lot of hard stories, but there's always encouragement and um, just the truth of kind of how, why they have faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I've loved listening to the episodes that I've caught. Um, the one that you did with Becky Pippert about uh, her yeah. story of coming to faith and her passion for evangelism uh, mm -hmm. was a real encouragement for me. I think I listened to that one maybe three times. <laughs> So she's good. so wise. She is so wise. I know. So Isn't that I the really best thing it. about being a podcaster? It's connecting with people who, who get to help you along in your process, I think, more I was, so than anything else. I was going to say, how has your faith changed in the last few years of podcasting? Has podcasting impacted it? I mean, I think I never expected... I never thought about the fact that I would sit down with people who have spent years diving into their certain area of whether it's something they've experienced like depression, and then they go on to study and teach and encourage and counsel, or um, whether it's somebody like Becky Pippert, who 
you know, she came to faith in such an incredible way. And then she spent years and years and years writing books and sharing her faith. And so it's really, um, it's been the process that God has used to draw me closer to himself and to grow my empathy for people who are different than I am, because we all experience such different life circumstances. I've been so blessed to meet people that I'm like, oh my goodness, I could have never learned this just by reading their book. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes you get to read those books ahead of time, right? And then you get That's to ask right. them questions and seem like the expert when really they're teaching you. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's a secret this is exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where can people find out more about your ministry? I, also, I just want to say, um, Amber's podcast has been, uh, I mean, Christianity Today featured it at one point saying it was the one that people should be listening to. And mm -hmm. so um, it comes with high, high reviews. Where can people find out more about it? Thank you, Janelle. It, graceenoughpodcast.com. If you go there, you can, and it's on all the listening apps. That's the beautiful thing. Just type in the title and you can listen along. Great. So Amber, how did you become a Christian? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Was it all, you know, perfect for yeah. you all the way through your journey? I mean, because we're all, <laughs> we all grew up in the perfect Christian yeah, home. Tell me all we? about it. <laughs> no, I would say that I grew up in a culturally Christian environment. Um, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky, a very small mountain town. And so Christianity was just something people did. Now, not everyone, but going to church was a very common thing for most people, I would say, um, during the 80s when I grew up. And so while my family didn't go to church on a regular basis, we stopped going right around the time I was two, and I really don't know why. But my cousins and my aunt and uncle lived in the same neighborhood as we did through fifth grade. And they would often take my sister and I, you know, to VBS. Occasionally we would go, you know, we were the Creaster people. We show up on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> um, and then at age 12, um, I think it was like the Hell's Gates, Heaven's, <laughs> or Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flame play, or I don't know, one of those things that now I would probably cringe um, if I sat through, but it is what first made me realize that, okay, there is something to sin in my life. Like mm. I may not be doing all of these things because I'm really young at age 12, but I definitely know that I have a tendency to want to lie when I get caught doing something bad or, you know, I don't always uh, do the right thing. And so that's when I first became a believer. And I would say throughout my teenage years, like many people, um, I was incredibly rebellious and I liked it. I liked being able to go to church on Sunday and everyone applaud me and think I was great. And then the rest of the week, I mean, I was very rebellious and enjoyed it. But my sophomore year of college, um, I started going to fellowship of Christian athletes at the university of Kentucky. And I mean, that's just what God used to change my life. And from that point forward, it's just been totally different. Um, not because it was easy or everything made sense, but, um, there was a foundation that was laid there that even in my adult life, when I've really, really struggled, I feel a lot like Peter, like, where would I go? Where else would I go? I've tried to go other places. Um, and 
I always come back to Christ. So, mm. so just uh, to clarify, so you were going, was it at an Easter play that they were doing this hell's fire in heaven's... <laughs> You never heard of this. You grew up out in the West, and you know Girl, what? you didn't grow we up had, in the Bible. We had placed. <laughs> we had placed. They were a little more subtle. They were usually like scary music and uh, well, no I words. Think that's what it is. It's that same thing of where there's. <laughs> there's it was the early nineties. I know what you're talking about, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think they're still doing those plays. Um, yeah, that's it was a side effective. Note. It was effective. Uh, yeah. Well, say. actually, I mean, a lot of people did get saved, but yeah. Again, uh, so you're up on the stage and there's like this event where somebody does the wrong thing and they get taken off to hell and then somebody does the right thing and they get yeah. taken off to heaven. Maybe mm. an oversimplification of the gospel. However, it will, as some people say, I mean, it will kind of scare the yeah. H-E mm -hmm. double hockey sticks yeah. right out of you. <laughs> oh, so. so then you're enjoying, you're enjoying your life of rebellion and mm. um, enjoying your sin, which I think is important uh, that Christians don't talk about enough, right? Like it feels yeah. good to do what you want to do. Yep. Um, and then you're in college, you're at Fellowship of Christian Athletes, God gets a hold of you. What made you decide, ah, I don't want to do this stuff anymore. I'd rather have Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I, in high school, even though I was so involved in um, all of the things that you could think of, there was always, there was always something that when life would start falling apart, I would find myself praying or I would find myself opening the Bible and not really knowing what it said, but finding some type of comfort there. Um, and I had this one Christian CD, Cademan's Call, that I would always turn on when thing, I know, right? Straight 90, <laughs> Cademan's Call. Um, but, and so really I had gone through a horrible breakup and it was just ugly and it was hard. And um, I wanted to be back in church. And so I was going even in college, but there was a, a certain situation that came up um, and I just was broken. And I had gone to Fellowship of Christian Athletes and I enjoyed it. So I kept going back. And really, I think I finally just got tired of the Friday night being trashed and waking up on Saturday morning and feeling guilty. I hadn't felt guilty before really. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what it was. I just think God's voice finally became louder in my life and it felt more worth it than the other direction. Hmm. Did you feel yeah. like your life changed at that moment or was it harder to peel away those layers of the lifestyle you were living? Was it because I know sometimes people come to Christ and it's like, uh, you know, it's a slow uh, yeah. surrender. And other times it's like, no, all this stuff is repulsive to me. What was it for you? Um, immediately, it was very repulsive. But I would then go back and do the same things when things weren't, you know, going as easy as I thought they were going to be. Or if something really tough happened in my home life, I would return to drinking. And we're not just talking like drinking like high schoolers. I mean, I was pretty, it was pretty heavy. It was unsafe. Um, so yeah, it, it was, uh, if you've ever experienced someone who is just a very black and white thinker, or they love justice, you and I both are ones on the Enneagram, aren't we? You're no. not. Okay. Well, I am. <laughs> 
So, I mean, I'm kind of like all in, I'm all in partying or I'm like all in over here. And then, you know, you would slide back and then there would be this shame um, cycle. And I'll be honest with you. I'm very grateful that I didn't have the layers of a Christian family. This is going to sound bad, but you can clarify where I had to strip away the shame from what God said versus what I had been taught in culture that makes you feel guilty in a way that you, you feel like you can't dig yourself out of a hole because that's not Christ. Mm. That's our own expectations that we put on people. Unpack that a little bit. Um, <laughs> cause I want to make sure I understand that. I, I think I know what you're saying, but I want to make sure I do. It's yeah. So I watch good friends who grew up in a Christian home in the nineties and they fight. Well, like I just had Jasmine Holmes on the show. So I'm going to use her example. I listened to some of that when it was good. Yeah. How great. She just was so relatable, but she said, you know, I would feel guilty or I would feel a lot of shame about, um, not necessarily spending all this amount of time with my kids. Mm. I would feel shame if I couldn't keep my house in order And I've seen young people say, well, I would feel shame because I did have sex with my boyfriend. Um, Now, there's a difference in shame and conviction. And you want to be able to say, yes, that's sinful. And I need to turn from that. But God is a forgiving God. Like you can screw up over and over and over again. And he doesn't have tally marks. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes when you grow up, not just in a Christian family, this is just if you grow up in church, I'm watching it happen to my kids. You hear behavior modification so much that it's hard to separate truth from what culture is just talking about all the time. Mm. And that's a natural process, I think, that sometimes leads people away. Mm -hmm. But if you just keep going back to God's word and trying to parse through that on your own and with maybe one wise person you'll start seeing the person of Christ in a much different light than maybe the 8,000 sermons you've listened to because you've been going to church since you were two years old. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're speaking to is a heart change and that heart surrender versus a behavior modification. I was just having a conversation with one of my kids, Kaylee, you'll know which one. (laughs) One of my kids this morning about his behavior. I was like, you know what? I see a lot of hardened heart with you. And I love you. And if your heart's not going to change, we're going to change your behavior because that's a secondary issue. And I can't reach your heart. That's between you and Jesus. But I can Mm. change your behavior with these, you know, disciplinary things that I can do. Yep. You're going to go to bed early until I see a behavior modification. Right. But that's not the the root issue. The root issue is a heart and heart. And I love that Um, there's been a pastor on this podcast that I just love uh, what he talks about with grace, but he's like, you know, we don't, we do not front load the gospel. Mm. Don't front load the gospel. Um, It's Jesus that changes us. It's not, you know, all these rules that I got to follow. So often I have young women on this podcast who are like, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to have to change my life. Well, Jesus will change your life. He will mess with it. You will have that Mm -hmm. conviction and all those things as you keep going and walking with him. But he's the one who's going to do it with you and with your permission because you're going to surrender it to him. Um, So I love that. And it is a process, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not. And that's why I'm a little bit um, cautious to say like, oh, it all just melted away because it didn't Mm -hmm. there. I mean, I'm still working 
yeah. through things. <laughs> Until I, the day, day we of die. Christ Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Kaylee. <laughs> there is hope, I promise. <laughs> Sanctification well, I think is a word. There's freedom in that, though. I think yeah. there's, I mean, to me, there's more freedom in knowing I am not finished yet. I'm not expected to be completed until the end. Yeah. And I don't have to always be performing to earn. Mm-hmm. I'm making changes because my fellowship with the Father is more intimate through. The changes that are made, not because he approves of me more. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's not going to love you any more or less tomorrow when you screw up versus today when you're acting all perfect or whatever, which what is perfect? (laughs) None of us are perfect. Yeah. Um, This podcast, Amber, as you know, is for someone who maybe is struggling with questions. Mm. Um, Maybe she isn't even sure where she's at with faith in her life right now. Um, have you been someone who struggled with faith questions in the past how many years that you've given your life to Christ? Yeah, um, I think the first time that I struggled with faith questions was after I went to India for a mission trip, and that was when I was right out of grad school. So that's been almost 20 years ago, and I went through, for sure, a dark night of the soul where I just... I didn't know if I could really trust who God said he was um, in this place when I saw all that I saw. And I had to really wrestle through that big question. And I think that's a hard question to answer. And then I would say in the last, um, really, since probably about a year after I started the show in the last five years, due to some things that have happened in church settings and, um, just ministry in general, I have wrestled through a lot of questions and have just honestly, at times found myself barely clinging to the hem of Jesus robe, because I've thought if I did know where else to go, I might potentially go and Mm. try something different, you know, and that's just being brutally honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How did you reconcile what you saw, the poverty and the the pain, I'm guessing, of India with God's character? How did that, uh, I'm guessing, since, you know, you're still here and you're still doing ministry, (laughs) that there was some, you know, so for (laughs) somebody listening, would you give them a little, uh, a little bonus? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think ultimately, if, because I feel like the Bible is one full story from beginning to end, and there's great uh, joy in taking pieces of it and chewing on it. I think knowing all of scripture, and that takes time as well, helped solidify my faith because there is poverty in the Bible. There is, um, I mean, anything you can think of that's happening right now, there are disasters. There are things that God did put on people Mm -hmm. because they refuse to obey. And then there are times when God was like totally merciful in their obedience still. And so um, with India, the process ended up looking like God, I don't understand how this darkness can exist and this level of poverty, because it wasn't even just the poverty. It was utter darkness. It was the most, the craziest thing I'd ever seen. But as I continued to read in the old Testament about how 
over and over again, God says, do these things and this will happen. And people keep choosing not to do those things. Well, that can feel like an individual, but we see he's putting it on an entire nation. And so I'm not saying that God necessarily, oh, because you're disobedient, all these horrible things are happening to you. But I am saying as humanity as a whole, we just make a lot of bad choices. We make a lot of great choices too, but either way, they do impact our circumstances. And when I, what I see in God, the father, as I read through scripture is a God that keeps saying, I'm going to preserve a remnant. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he keeps doing it Mm -hmm. in the midst of all of the ugly. He keeps doing it. And I think I clung to that because I kept thinking, I definitely don't believe that this all just happens by chance. Mm -hmm. So the other religions that I've looked into, it's still a chance thing. It's still if we just behave a certain way, things don't happen, but I don't believe that Mm -hmm. you can see sin nature in people. And so I don't know if that totally answers the question. I can't say that I still can go, God, now I know why people have to be homeless and they're starving and there's abuse and there's sex trafficking. I, I still don't understand that. Yeah. But I do see a God that says a lot of this is because we are sinners and I am there. I am continuing to try to woo people back to myself. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And we'll put a link in the show notes to some episodes where we've talked about the issue of suffering because, you know, that question is one that I think is universal and it's probably the most, it's the biggest question. Uh, Lord, why, why do you allow suffering in a world where you could intervene? Right. And most people in their lifetime, uh, we all face death, right? We're not getting out of here unscathed. We will ask that question at some point, or we will have somebody ask it of us, especially as believers. So um, I just wanted to hear your perspective on that, because I think it's important. Um, So Amber, sometimes when young women come on this podcast, we jump into the theological questions, which I think are foundational and super important. Um, I love talking with apologists and scholars on here about reasons for faith. I try to talk about the gospel also as much as I can, because I truly believe that impacts everything else. But often in podcast discussions, at least, it's very easy to avoid the practical issues that somebody is facing. We'll have a deep conversation, and it will kind of be a little removed. Um, Things like peer pressure, relational stuff, you mentioned, you know, sex outside of marriage, mental health. Those are real issues that the world offers. I I should say, I'll clarify. It's not that we never talk about it, but it's very few and far between. Young women are not asking me what I think about that, right? They don't want to know, is what I would say. (laughs) You're Uh, outdated, Jenna. (laughs) Those are real issues that the world offers a lot of answers for. The world will tell you what's good with all those things. Um, And perhaps Christians, um, you know, to be honest, don't talk enough about it. Um, So will you tell me about your experience with something very personal? I know you've already told me you would um, about depression. Yeah. Yeah. So I first realized that something 
I shouldn't say this is when I first realized. I think I knew for years before my my second born is a girl. I think I knew for a long time before that that um, I was susceptible to depression. I was very fortunate in high school to be athletic. And so I do think that helps a lot with mental health, just because the activity in general activates the uh, different neurotransmitters and hormones in our brain that, that kind of, I don't want to say protects you, but it definitely helps, right? (laughs) That's right. When I'm on a really down day now, I'm like, you got to get out and move your body. Yeah. Um, so I, there were times that I knew, I think I thought in my head, like, is this normal? But after my daughter was born, I mean, I just spent so much time in the floor crying my eyes out for like, no, like the nothing was going on. We're not talking about like my kids were having fits. There just was a general discontentment all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it was like this little cloud, you know, what, what, who's the cartoon character? That, the little cloud follows them around. Oh, well, anyways, Linus, maybe, yeah, that's the, a, the dirt, the dirt cloud. Oh. But I, I feel like they're anyways, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the little person, their little cloud. And I, I make a joke of that, but there is a heaviness mm-hmm. to depression that is, it's almost, a, it's a bit indescribable when it's someone who is still functioning very well in life, which I was in the mm-hmm. sense of, no one would look and say, oh my gosh, Amber is, she's struggling with depression because I could keep it all together. But just in general, there was this just layer of sadness and discontentment. And I kept kind you know, there's some shame that comes along with that because yeah. you just want to keep saying, if I get to about nine months, um, this lift, because that can be some postpartum depression too. Right. Right. I got to nine months and it did not lift. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to go get help for that. And I mean, my husband was just at his wits end. And I mean that in a positive way, actually, like he was asking his friends. And thankfully, we had a really good friend who um, had had dealt with pretty severe, like trying to take her life. And he had called the, the husband and said, you know, what, what do I do? Like, what did you do when she was going through this? And he wisely said, she needs to go and see someone. And she probably needs to take medication. Mm -hmm. And I think when my husband said that to me, there was a bit of freedom to say, you know what, if it's this bad, um, I think he's right. Like, I don't need to keep hiding from this. And so I did, I had been to counseling in the past, but that was to deal with some mommy wounds from childhood. And, um, I went and they did prescribe a medication. I began taking the medication, Um, and yeah, I mean, probably in about three weeks, the fog began to lift a little bit and I still had this attitude of like, well, I won't need to take this forever because, you know, good Christians, like I should be able to pull my bootstraps up. I didn't think any of that at the time. Right. 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 But looking back, I could see where I would try really hard to, if I get all these things in a row and not just spiritually, even like if I'm exercising every day, um, if I'm if I clean up my diet, if I, you know, once the kids are a little bit older and I'm not at home so much, um, all these things, then I'll go back to more normal. And that just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I tried to come off of the medication two times and finally settled into, nope, this is a part of my life. My brain is not um, fully well at this point. It doesn't process and produce all of the things it needs 
to keep these hormones and things in check. And I can be a Christian and love Jesus and struggle with this and take medicine for the rest of my life. And so I'd like to say that now my medication's great and I exercise every day and I never have struggles. Um, but that's not true. Yeah. I mean, I still at Christmas, I went through a, about a month where I just thought, oh gosh, oh my goodness, what's happening? Like, and you kind of go into a bit of a traumatic fear almost like, is this going to spin out of control again? And so, yeah, you may want to ask some questions about that, but that's kind of where I am at this point. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what difference do you feel does your faith in Christ make in the practical struggle of dealing with that? Um, I, I know you mentioned medication, which um, is obviously helpful and exercise, but I know there's the a great, bo- yeah, the, I read, a, there's a great book, um, Finding Quiet. Have you read that one yet? I haven't. Okay. Is it it's, great? It's great. And it's by um, J.P. Moreland, I think. Okay. Uh, an apologist. But in it, he talks about going to a church and talking about medication as a Christian and basically never being, you know, he was not allowed to go back was kind of the story. And it was just a really tragic way to start this book. But it's a really powerful book about the things that have helped him with anxiety and depression. So I'm just wondering what has helped you. You just mentioned the Word of God. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing for sure is I I definitely don't want to come across as saying everybody needs medicine, because I do think sometimes we can over prescribe too. And then we're putting people on medicine, and they're struggling to get off of it because it's a there's so many there's just a lot of different approaches and usually you need a lot of tools in your basket. And, um, that was something that I want to say too, is when I first was diagnosed with depression, I mean, I was in the word of God every day. I was praying every day. I mean, praise God from the time I was in college, I began being taught then how to structure time with Jesus. And so I was very faithful to that again, not to earn his favor. I just enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So all through my kids being newborns, I was, I'm an early bird. So again, I, this is not shaming anyone else. Like I just get up early, even when my kids were babies. So it's to God get bless in the, you, Amber. <laughs> and they're now, you know, t- 13, 10 and seven, and you will still find me up at five or five 30 in the morning wow. sitting and reading. And that's not, it might not always be the Bible, but reading something else. And so I want people to know that I had those practices in place, Mm -hmm. but here's the thing. Ed Welch has written extensively on psychiatric diagnoses, and he was on the show um, not that long ago when I did a series on mental health. And while he's a biblical counselor, so he's going to, you know, talk more about using the word um, over medicine first, he's not opposed to medication. But what he so often talks about is, you know, depression's not in the Bible. We hear anxiety, but suffering is. So we've got to start talking about mental health from the perspective of suffering. From Genesis to Revelation, we see suffering. Someone like me with depression, go to the verses about suffering. And so that's what I started doing. You know, God, with Elijah, what happened with 
all of these different people, when you start talking about suffering, you find comfort in the Psalms again, because it doesn't necessarily have to say the quote unquote word for it to be a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've found so much strength in looking for parts of scripture where there's suffering that's taking place. And how did God meet that person in their suffering? How did God meet Jesus in his suffering? How did Jesus meet people in their suffering? And, you know, occasionally I'll pull out verses and let those be scripture prayers to comfort me, um, but also just to build my faith muscles. You know, we talk about exercise. I think whatever we practice is we're all practicing something. Mm-hmm. We're being formed by something. Right. And for me, uh, particularly with my mental health, part of what's forming me is the, the word of God. And so I have found that allowing that to form me over having the drink that takes the edge off actually yields greater peace in the long run, because I have something to pull from in my brain right? We have neuro pathways in our brain mm-hmm. and whatever we repeat, that's the pathway that gets laid down. Right. And so those have been things for me, prayer, making sure that I'm not ashamed to admit talking about it like this. I am a follower of Christ and I have depression, but depression is not my identity. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot of other things. Um, you know, I'm a mother, I am a wife, I'm a podcaster. I, I mean, I lead a girl's small group and I have depression. So mm-hmm. things like that, um, honesty, counseling, I'm back in counseling again. Um, there's just so many things to pull from the, the toolbox. Friend, if you're enjoying this episode, you may also enjoy exclusive bonus content each month. Finding Something Real is a podcast that has some costs associated with it. We have a website, monthly subscriptions to stay organized. We design things. We like to pay an assistant producer who keeps things going around here, that kind of stuff. We're not in the business of trying to make money, but we are in the business of wanting to keep this show going and be sustainable. So we use Patreon. And if you haven't heard of it, Patreon is the best place for creators to build memberships by providing exclusive access to their work and a deeper connection with their communities. Each month, patrons who support Finding Something Real get a bonus episode where we recap the month's episodes. Often those episodes feature our co-hosts and they will often share what this journey was like. There's other perks over there too, and it's easy to get involved. Just go to findingsomethingreal.com and click support at the top of the page. We'd love to have you over there in our Patreon community. I love that. Um, As a podcaster... You've been doing that for what, five years, four years? Four. Oh my gosh. Wow. Four. It was four in February. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I should be like, oh, I'm old. I'm an old podcaster. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're Both one are true. thousands, right? <laughs> most, right? Most podcasters don't make it. We're, we're old together. That's right. Um, but you constantly have people from different um, backgrounds and diversity on your podcast. Um, even as Christians, right? Different perspectives. I just mentioned, uh, you know, that one church that is in that book. Um, I don't know how often people, you know, confront you with their different views on how you should be managing your depression. Um, But I imagine it does come up occasionally, or at least you hear different ideas. 
Um, for somebody listening who struggles uh, with other people's perception of how they're dealing with, you know, their spiritual walk with the Lord, their struggles, um, how can you speak to that? Oh, gosh, that's so hard. And that's so I want to tread lightly there because I first do not have all the answers. Um, because people's words and their presence in our life has a lot of weight and it determines a lot of what we think about ourselves. Um, and I know that because I had someone tell me, well, I never needed counseling. So why do you, (laughs) and that was someone that was super close to me. Um, and that paralyzed me for years because there was a shame associated with that. And so I share that to say, we need to be asking the question, um, if I were standing face to face with the person of Jesus, now this could be that you're a believer or not a believer, because say you're standing face to face with whoever you respect greatly that, and I'm not talking about that there, this is someone whose opinion matters. Um, Maybe you're of a different faith right now. And you pray to someone else. Um, That's hard for me to wrap my mind around because that's so much on merit. But let's say you're standing face to face with Jesus. I think most of us can agree. Um, For me, he's my savior. For a lot of other people, he was one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. Um, What do you think he would say to you if you were the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and you reached out? And you asked, I mean, she just touched him and was healed. But he turned around and spoke to her and said, who touched me? And she tells a little bit of his story. And, you know, he says, your faith has healed you. To me, thinking about his perception, you have to, it's really hard because everybody else is coming in contact with you every day. But I have spoken that over myself time and time again. Okay, hold on. That person is a wounded soul as well. The person whose perception that matters to me so much, they are a wounded soul as well. If I believe that Christ was a great person or my savior, what would he say to me if I looked to him face to face and said, I'm taking medicine because I'm sick? What would he say? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure he'd treat you more like the ad- woman who committed adultery, right? He's not going to throw a stone at you. Um, he, he may tell you to change something about your life, but it's not going to be because your life is what has get depressed. Now, sometimes that might be true, <laughs> but most of the time it is something wrong with our brains or it's a traumatic experience that you have walked through. And so your brain anatomy has totally changed and you've got to get to where you actually believe that. And that starts with what you speak to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I find myself often asking that question. If I were standing face to face to him and I were to just pour it all out, what would he actually say? Mm-hmm. And then I need to believe that over the perception of other people. And you'll have to fight that. I mean, they say it takes in order to lay a new brain pathway. Um, I mean, it's like 38 days and then you're saying it. I can't remember how many times a day, but it's a lot. Um, 
so yeah, that's just something that I practice, uh, particularly through the practice of Lectio Divina, which mm-hmm. some people use where you're reading the scripture and then you imagine like, I am the blind man on the road, you know, I'm Bartimaeus. What is it that I need to ask Jesus for? What do I need right now? Um, and that, that helps a lot. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, I've struggled with anxiety in Mm. my past and, um, and, and my story, I'm not going to share it right now, but it's, you know, it, it, it's my story and it's hard when you're sharing those things that God has either delivered you from, or has walked you through in a different way to encourage somebody else. And then not feel like, oh, this was my story. And and therefore it's a prescription for yours. You know what I mean? It's just, Everybody, God, God works with everybody differently. He's always consistent with his word. Um, but I have found one thing that I, I always like to share with people when I'm talking to someone who's struggling uh, with anxiety. And I, I think that you um, find this same practice very helpful for you too. So I, I wanted to touch on it. Um, we do something in our home called Wahoo's. Um, and I've done yeah. this with some of my, <laughs> I've done this with some of my girls actually. And if you're listening, I'm sorry, but not really. Um, and so what I do <laughs> is when my kids are feeling down in the dumps or anxious or frustrated, I'll say something to them like, you owe me five wahoos. And they have to list off things that they're grateful for yep. because gratitude has changed my life. And it says in scripture, Philippians four, six, and seven, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I know that verse because I would say it to myself over and over and over again, because I needed it so bad. And then, you know, actually practicing gratitude. So my kids will have to say something they're thankful for. And sometimes I've done this with um, the girls that live with us. They'll say something they're they're thankful for, and then they'll have to repeat it with or follow it with wahoo. I'm thankful for my family. Wahoo. You know, and (laughs) by the time we're done, it's hilarious because who likes to say wahoo? Nobody. But you're laughing. And then that's right. Like trained your like neural pathways to go a different direction. So I know you love that too. Tell me a little bit about that and how that's helped in your journey. Yeah. I mean, gratitude is something else. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because sometimes, you know, you forget what all tools are in your tool belt Yeah. And, but, and, and praise God, we have rhythms that if we practice them, you actually forget to mention them sometimes because it, it has become something that is such a normal part of my day now that I almost forget that I'm doing it. And isn't that a beautiful thing? <laughs> not just thanking God, but also expressing appreciation to other people does the same thing. So, um, I was grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. I mean, I grew up in a family where we grumbled, man, we were, we were professional grumblers. (laughs) And, um, and I, I shouldn't say that because my parents would be so upset, but you know, you, it's easy to get in a routine, right. Of grumbling. And one day we're sitting in the car and my husband goes, tell me three things you're thankful for. Now, this is before I had kids and I was so ticked off. <laughs> I was like, who are you? To... It's funny because now we do that to our kids when they're grumbling. So I rolled my eyes and I don't, I don't particularly remember what I said, but um, we kept that practice up. And what I noticed was the grumbling went down. And honestly, me being able to see the goodness of God in the midst of some pretty horrible circumstances um, went up. 
And so it doesn't mean that it changed my feelings per se, or that I was quote unquote, less depressed during a really hard time, but it, speaking of scripture, it fixed my mind on something else. Mm -hmm. So gratitude for me has been this thing where it's like, step outside and just look around, pay attention to the little tiny bee and what it's actually doing. And it's incredible when you start paying attention to these little tiny things, how much gratitude kind of comes alive. And it has been proven that gratitude does change the brain. I mean, they've done study after study in secular settings and Christian settings where it actually changes your brain. It reduces um, the stress output that we have. It increases endorphins. And I've witnessed that personally. And so I, I'm going to share this one thing, which hopefully doesn't go too deep, as you said, into scripture. But in my study of this, it. uh, yeah, well, it, it's because when you think about, um, there were all these feasts that, you know, sacrifices that um, God had Israel make. And one of them was the peace offering. And the peace offering had different parts of it. But one of one part of the peace offering was the thank offering. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you could bring the thank offering and, you know, it burns up on the altar and so on and so forth. If you don't know that, don't read Leviticus, but that's where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> I won't encourage anyone to start Do Leviticus. Do the best more study that's, of that's right, that's right. But here's the fascinating thing about the thank offering. It is the only offering where the per the volunteer who's actually making the sacrifice gets to have a part of the sacrifice. Every other one either completely burns up on the altar, which is going to who? The Lord. Mm -hmm. So we're making that sacrifice to the Lord, or it's going to the priest because the priest gets to eat part of the offerings. That's how we feed the Levites, or it goes to God and the priest. The thank offering is the only one where the person who's making the offering takes a part of it back home and shares it with his family and friends. Hmm. And the reason why I point that out is because Thanksgiving transforms us and it transforms other people. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's brilliant how God, I always say how um, brain science is now catching up to God science. Yep. Because this is the way he designed it to be, to see, you know, I mean, there's a reason why he's constantly saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for this. Let other people know you appreciate them. Paul is constantly thanking people for what they're doing because it lights up these reward pathways in our brain. And we experience great joy in expressing gratitude and telling other people um, that we're grateful for them. And so that offering, they take it home and they participate in a feast together. And so it's one of the only offerings where you have the priest who in New Testament times is Jesus. You have God, the father, and then you have the people partaking of the sacrifice together. Hmm. It's the coolest thing. That's amazing. I've never heard that before. And I'm going to have to go look in Leviticus. Uh, yeah, well... <laughs> But I make sure I you look at a commentary so too, because it's a little com it's a little confusing, right? <laughs> Maybe I'll go to godquestions.org. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh it's so true. James K. A. Smith, he wrote a book about um 
I want to say it was called made to worship, but I don't think it's called that. Um, but it's basically, that's the whole premise of the book. We were all designed, our hearts desire this whole inside of us Mm -hmm. to be filled with the Lord. It was made to worship. It was made to give thanks. That's what we were designed for. And I love that you pointed out that, you know, (laughs) human science is catching up with God's science because it's absolutely true. All truth is God's truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can, we can test our faith, right? Christianity can be tested. I don't want it if it's not true. Um, Amen. So but all this science and, uh, you know, psychology research and all these different things back up what Jesus and you know, the word of God has been saying for thousands of years. Yeah. I get pretty excited. I'm like, here, see. I do too. I know. Look at all these scientists who don't believe in God and don't want to say thank you to him. But guess what? All their research points to the exact same thing. We yeah. were made to give thanks. That's what we yes. were designed to do. Oh. I love that. And it, yeah. And I mean, it does just to know, because I um, am a physical therapist in my past life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a degree in that. So maybe it's my current life. But so brain science really fascinates me in that way. Um, and so when I learned things about how, you know, we know that memorizing, there's a reason why, like memorizing math facts and things like that as kids. We do that because if we memorize it, it's going to stick with us over time. Well, hopefully we let kids use calculators too soon, but that's a, that's a side yeah. note. But I mean, the word of God's the same way, right? Mm-hmm. We hear these different scriptures, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And it will trigger in our mind like, okay, what can I thank him for today? And I just think that it's, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be Oh my gosh, I thank you, God, that you did X, Y, and Z. I can remember times saying when I had babies, particularly, God, thank you for toothpaste. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. seriously, and people would laugh at me and I'm like, yeah, but I really am thankful for that because I know people who do not have it, mm-hmm. you know? So <laughs> I mean, I, like, seriously, yep. thank God for everything. Yeah. There's always something. There's yeah. always something. All right, Amber, I've got one final question here, but before I dive in and I can cut this out, but Kaylee, here's your one chance to direct the conversation anywhere you want it to go. Do you have anything you want to say? If not, you can just go like this and I'll ignore you. But if you'd like to add something right now, you could add it. Um, I don't have anything like particularly to ask, but um, in your like last little bit of conversation, I was actually trying to pull up my um, church that I currently attend did a whole study on the winning, winning a war, the winning the war in your mind. That was the book series. Okay. And it was interesting because um, one of the sermons, the, the pastor took research talking about, and I was trying to find it. So I didn't say the wrong thing, but how like using the word and spending time just talking to God has a positive outcome on how people are. And I, something, I might've been life expectancy. I can't remember exactly what the research was. So I just kind of do think it's interesting how much the science and the research and the psychology matches with what the Bible is saying and what God is having us do. Yes. Amen. And some people can say, um, oh, well, you just do it to feel good. And, you know, la, la, la. And I'm like, well, I mean, I think that's probably why some people do it, but absolutely not. I mean, it's, I do it because God asked me to do it. And I'm so grateful because I believe he created me 
And because he created me, all that stuff goes hand in hand. You know, it's not a self um, improvement process, even though it is, it's not, it's a, you know, I want to be more Christ-like, right? Yeah. So it's beautiful. You get, you get to keep some of it for yourself too. <laughs> it's That's like right. The collateral damage is collateral yeah. goodness, right? That's right. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. Well, final question here, the finding something real podcast, by the way, thank you for Kaylee for contributing. That was awesome. Um, the finding something real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love all things that can be found in relationship with Christ, which of those things, restoration, eternity, authenticity, or love stands out to the most in your life right now. And why? Yeah, for me, it's, it's definitely authenticity. Um, I think the reason why is because I remember, um, there's, there was always a time, not always for a long time. I would think that I was too much for people, Hmm. um, too much in the sense of I'm very, I'll share almost anything. And now that can be bad at times. There's definitely uh, growth and self-control that has taken place because it's, it's not always a safe space. And sometimes we do need to hold ourselves back. Um, but I've always appreciated people that could be really authentic. And then when I started engaging with Jesus and you just see this man who he's just so authentic, he's asking questions. He's spending time with people. He's slowing down. Even when everybody else around him is in panic mode, he's not in panic mode. Because he just knows that being with people and meeting people's needs is what's most important. And um, I just see a real genuine authenticity in him that's attractive when you really slow down and watch what he did. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he did it perfectly. And so I feel like I can, right, we learned so much because mine's very imperfect as I'm spitting all of you know, vomiting all of my things on people that everybody doesn't necessarily need yet. There's wisdom in growing in his likeness and paying attention and listening to people and sharing, um, maybe something they need from your own personal experience. So mm-hmm. I definitely think the authentic piece for me. Mm. Love that. Well, Amber Cullum and Kaylee, thank you both for being here today. What a treat this has been. Thank you both so much. Until next time. Thank you, Janelle. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.